This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Josh Heath, and as always, we are joined by my fellow co-host, Carrie. Hello! And today, we are talking about the Wendigo Tribe book, which is hopefully the last time you will hear me say that word out loud, because it is winter, and I don't want that bad news on my horizon. So Nobody does. Not at all. This book was published in 1998 by White Wolf and was written by Bill Bridges, developed by Ethan Skemp, edited by Ed Hall, art directed by Eileen E. Miles, art by Pia Guerra, Patrick Kochakchi, Jeff Rebner, with the comic book art by Ron Spencer. And of course, the back cover and the cover design, Joshua Gabriel Timbrook and Eileen E. Miles. So lots of good folks, folks we're familiar with involved in this book. Carrie, overall thoughts. What were your overall thoughts about the Ice Heart um, or Younger Brother book? Overall, I actually enjoyed this more than the previous tribe book for the Pure Lander tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't expect to. Like, you know, because like, when you read the little blurbs and the other, you know, it's always like, these are angry werewolves. And uh, the the tribe book here had a lot more to it than that and I wasn't expecting that I, I came into this book expecting to you know read you know 80 pages of we're angry but there was a lot more to it than that and that was nice yeah there's actually a lot to this book and when I got to take talk to James Sombrano we were hoping to have him on for this episode but we couldn't coordinate our schedules to make that happen um, and I came away from this book after his conversation thinking this does a lot for this tribe to make them deep and to make their anger understandable and to make the connection they had with the Croaton really, really important, which I had forgotten about when I uh, had read this ages ago. So it was a nice refresher to walk back into this and go, oh, wow, there's some depth here. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So why don't we get one of the things I don't think either of us are a huge fan of out of the way. Let's talk about the opening comic. Oh, well, there's so much here. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you want to talk about first? Well, I'd like to say that I believe this is either based on a legend or a made up native story native traditional story that they've taken to a really uncomfortable place. It's not a good start to what the rest of this book is. Um, There's harm to children or harm to a child that happens in this. And the idea of any child being born evil is a central theme. And I have major problems with that. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. Um, I read this like two weeks ago, so bear with me while I look at my notes. Because I wrote down die of exposure like the baby. Let me glance and make sure I've got that right. Yeah. The idea of exposing children is actually not common in Native American tradition. It's something that happened in Northern Europe and in some cultures around the world. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of frustrated that they've decided to add that here as a cultural element of this tribe. Yeah, it, um, okay, so I'm going to be honest. The artwork is so frenetic that it's almost hard for me to follow the story to, mm -hmm. to even like delve into should they have done this theme and not, you know, like, it's just kind of like, Oh, there's just spittle and spears everywhere. And I don't even know what to do with that. Um, yeah. yeah. It's not a great opening comic. I think yeah. if we left it at that, it would be probably pretty accurate. And it, I think tries to explain some of the concepts of tradition that the tribe has, but again, I just don't think it works out very well. Yeah, it, it doesn't play out well. Any other thoughts before we just say, yep, that happened and move on? Um, I, I've got something nice to say about the cover. Mm, sure, go ahead. Um, I really like the color choice they used for the, for the title. It feels cold, and, and that's just a nice, like, when you pick up the book, you're like, oh, it I, it feels cold. And then you open it up and it's like, oh, it's about a bunch of werewolves that live in the cold. Yay! So, you know, good color choice. Yeah, it definitely, they got the idea of the ice hearts down solid in that color choice. Yeah. I, I really wish, um, because in the original cover, they're still doing the cutout uh, glyphs mm -hmm. on the front cover. And because the very front page is in color of the comic book. Um, you've got all these warm colors leading through, or, you know, showing through the glyph. And I really wish they had done a little bit of um, design and had been aware of that or thought of that when they were doing that front page. So it had been cool colors coming through. Yeah, that um, would have made sense. Yeah, but, you know, there you go. You can't go back in time and make them do different art direction as much. <laughs> if only, oh my goodness. If I, if I ever had like time travel ability, that's probably what I would do. I'd probably waste it by fixing art decisions in role-playing books, you know, yeah. stop, stop world wars. No, 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 no. <laughs> this travesty of a cover needs to be fixed. I think you are using your theorized time travel powers for good here. So I agree. With that. <laughs> I'd be the worst mage ever. <laughs> I have some issues, I think, with this book's framing of one thing that I want to get off my chest before we dive too deep into this, and in that there is a amalgamation. And this happens, of course, with uh, every tribe, but this is really frustrating for me. There's an amalgamation of cultures that happens here. Yes, this tribe is connected to all of the native nations that live in the north of North America. So like the tips of uh, the United States are the lowest they sort of go. 
all the way up to like uh, Inuit territory and Nunavut and things like that in Canada. Mm -hmm. Like that's their range, not accounting for all of the other uh, tribes that may also live in those spaces, like the Red Talons and things like that. So a lot of these stories are a mix of Algonquin and other um, nations kind of like mushed together. And I find myself both uh, interested in that in kind of saying, okay, that's one way of taking this. And also a little bit like, ugh, like why did we have to like mush all these folks traditions into one big soup? It would even be different if they even just acknowledged this is from this. Mm-hmm. We're mushing it next to this other one, but this is this specific, this came from this. Yeah, that would have been really helpful because when they take elements of things from Inuit culture or from Pacific Northwest nations and merge them into things that are like, very clearly come from Wabanaki traditions. And I'm, and I know enough to know that, but if you don't, and you're just reading this and thinking, Oh, this is native American tradition. And it's like, ah, that's so frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. That said, I actually, in some ways like the story that starts off or like the, uh, the history section of this book, because Mm -hmm. I think it, really is interesting and well developed like this is well written bill bridges is a good writer and i think the story is really good the idea of the three um, brother tribes the way they kind of come alive in this i think is really like it feels true to the world that they're writing yes and it makes you understand why the croatan are super important to the wendigo or and and why that matters. Like, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I think that it, it feels natural. Mm-hmm. Like j- just the, the cadence of everything feels very natural. And I, I think that might be why I like this book better than the, um, the, the other book. Yeah. yeah they, I'm, <laughs> I was, I was going, the Bane, what did they do? I didn't remember for a second. Um, then the Bane Tenders book, because like, this feels almost more like if someone sat down and was just telling you a story, which I think is what they always want their books to feel like, but they don't always nail that. Yeah, yeah. They I, do. I think they definitely have nailed that here. The only thing I find a little weird is sometimes Bill Bridges picks up like a faux Native American cadence with the way he wrote it's bit. not horrible, but it does stand out and it makes me kind of go, mm, maybe you didn't need to do that, but at times not, it flows well too. It's like not quite racist, but, but you're like, you're, you're, you're going that direction. Hold off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I agree. Put the pedal on. <laughs> Stop right there. <laughs> but go ahead. Okay. Well, I was going to say some, some good things though. Um, I, some some little things that I noticed. Uh, I really dig in their creation section. Uh, they don't refer to Gaia as mother. They refer to her as grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of another instance where Gaia is referred to as a grandmother. And I was kind of like, well, yeah. <laughs> she's, 
she's super old. Like there would be like a level of respect that you would give to an elder that you wouldn't give to your mom or, you know, your parent. And, and I thought that was kind of like a, just this neat little, just touch of a, a feeling to it that, I don't know, flavor. Yeah. It's a great flavor, and and because it does speak to this sense of respect and tradition and all of the things that the ice hearts are supposed to represent, that that desire to adhere tr- to tradition and why, um, there's a ton of respect. Even when I think the writer goes too far, there's still a sense of writing this from a direction of respect, both for the cultures at play and for these characters view the world from a respectful angle and they try to be respectful of the world. So what it really feels like is that the, the people that put this book together played this tribe. Yeah. Not just wrote the book for the company. It feels like when they play the game, like maybe some of them actually played the tribe. Mm-hmm. And so they had a little bit of heart in it. <laughs> no is, pun intended. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is interesting. Like that's an interesting thought like when you are playing or when you have played something in these games you often have more emotional resonance with it and it often comes through in your writing absolutely yeah good point um i adored the birth of the one of of the uh of the tribe Mm -hmm. in the story Mm -hmm. of you know like i had like i looked at this book you know 20 years ago and um i don't remember it being as as um an amazing story as mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. um so like i i really really dug that you know and you know as as a gamer chick i always like when you know the stories about a chick like that that just i i know you know now it feels like it was a ploy but I don't think it was back then. I think they were being like, look, no, we're, you know, we're connecting, you know, the ladies can be part of the game too. And, you know, and it, it really, uh, I don't know. I, I really dug it. Yeah. There's a sense of true diversity presented in here. Strangely for being about a specific yeah. niche area yeah like there it does feel very diverse in 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 a way that's really like again lots of this book feel natural it flows naturally it all makes sense this is probably again one of the most coherent of the books and honestly bill bridges when he's written the ones we've reviewed those are the ones we tend to note are hey this is consistent from a to Z, and we're really feeling that, I think, in this book and the way it's presented. So yeah, agreed. And I think, so moving like toward the Croatan song, this is the first, not the first reference we get to the song of the Croatan or the idea of Croatan song, but it feels super important to this tribe. Their relationship to middle brother and older brother is everything for them and having isn't that true for any younger sibling yeah yeah they look up to their siblings usually um i am the youngest of my family but my brother was weirdly like sort of my like younger brother in a lot of ways um my family was strange Uh, but 
that sense of I'm looking up to you and looking at your direction and trying to find my own path alongside you, it makes sense. And their retention of cultural and um, spiritual traditions and things like that from that relationship seems super uh, on point. Yeah. Yeah. So I really, really dig that because I didn't anticipate that being so big here. Um, I've read this ages and ages ago and then more recently for this recording and just felt like, oh, I see why eventually they do the Croatan songbook because they need to with this. Like they hint at all of the, these things that are super important and do a tie into the Wild West and things like that, which again makes yes. sense for the tribe. And it's just like, thank you for doing that here with these folks. Yeah, they, uh, they, yeah, the, it, it, it's tied so closely. Like I almost wish they had just, I don't know, like, I, I feel like they they could have um, written a whole book on just the relationship between the two tribes mm -hmm. and, the, and then put out this book and then put out the Croatan song. Yeah, it might have been better if they'd put Croatan song out first and <sighs> then Maybe. this book, but I still feel like it was a good, I still feel like it works. What, uh, any other thoughts on this kind of opening chapter or sections within here? Um, well, I, I, I can head, I'm going to head back for a second. Sure. Just a little bit. Um, there, there's a section where they're talking about where they slay monsters, like mm -hmm. before everything. And I don't know, like I, I wrote down, there was, cause apparently they fought a bunch of rolling heads and I thought that was just really fun. And I really, I really think that the, the illustration they used for that cracks me up so much because they almost look like Pokemon, mm -hmm. like insane Pokemon. And it, it brought a moment of like fun into all this heavy stuff, you know, like the, you know, grandmother has sent us to do these things and all this, you know, and you're like, oh, and you're your heart is frozen because you're set. Oh no, all this terrible stuff. And then there was a giant rolling head we had to fight. And I'm like, Oh, I know that you're taking this from some kind of lore, but it's so hard to like read this with a straight face and not be like, I want to fight a giant rolling head. You know, like it was, it was fun. Mm -hmm. And they don't have a lot of fun in this book. I mean, it's not bad, but mm -hmm. like, there's not a lot of fun and so like that that moment there I was like oh that's that's neat I like that mm -hmm. what I think I really enjoy about that section and actually throughout this book is that there are story hooks connected to monsters throughout yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is the book that if you're like hey I'm curious about respectfully introducing a Native American traditional monster or creature or villain um, this is a place to pull one that is done pretty much fairly well and gives you a good starting ground for digging into that and presenting it. Um, rolling heads, giants, whatever it is that you want to bring in, you're going to find something here that's appropriate. It, it felt very changeling. Mm -hmm. Which is you know, interesting because this yeah. tribe supposedly has connections to the Nunahe. So... Mm -hmm it all that would fit in here really well so i do have a question mm -hmm. um in this chapter they talk about the six worlds okay 
Is Arcadia one of them? I don't know because I don't actually know what this might be referencing because it feels like it's something from a native tradition that they've sort of tacked onto the world of darkness. Right, but they imply that it might be Arcadia. And I just kept thinking that changes a lot of stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, if they can, you know, but the changelings can't and no, no, and you know. All right, sorry. <laughs> no, it's a good question because, it, and someone that might be familiar with this legend would probably be able to tell us more about it, but I feel like there's a story hook here with if you do connect it to Changeling, I think that would be awesome. Um, but it's mm -hmm. certainly like, I, I know the ghost world obviously is the underworld here, but is mm -hmm. the world above the sky the Umbra or is it something Yeah. Else? It's it's like they got so excited about mentioning all these different worlds and levels and, and things that they didn't give us the actual mechanics. Mm -hmm. Like this is this, you know, the the you know, the the ghost world. Because honestly, I thought the ghost world was the umbra world for a long time reading this book. Mm -hmm. Which because it could be, but I honestly <laughs> think it's the Shadowlands and I don't it makes more sense. Right. But not clear. Mm, right. Okay. <laughs> and I think there's lots of story hooks there. If, the, if it is the Shadowlands, it's like, oh, this tribe also can go into the Dark Umbra? Like, yeah, because that makes things very different too. Uh huh. And mm -hmm. adds so many story hooks that you're like, ooh, like, what do we do if we have this, you know, group go with some silent striders into the underworld and what do they uncover there? And is the tribal totem, does he live in the underworld? Because that seems to be what's said at times. Yeah, but not, but is. Yeah, it, that would probably be my, my biggest uh, complaint about this book is that they're so excited about using terminology and looking how clever they are that sometimes you're like, yes, but I'm trying to run a game. Yeah. Clearly a lot of research um, for 1998 went into this book and they were excited to include that research. Yes. But yes. Sometimes it's a little bit like, how does this dovetail to the game that you are supposedly talking about and writing for this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in chapter two, they do try to do some of that, where they try to link up this history and these ideas and these stories into, well, these are the things that are parts of the society of this tribe, of the Iceheart tribe. And they go into what I think, one of the sections I like the most is the Our Power is Rage it's a tiny section. I think it's only three paragraphs, maybe four paragraphs. And it really makes you go, Oh, I understand why anger is where this tribe goes. One from a native perspective, like anger gets shit done to quote um, Orlando Jones. And I agree with him. Sometimes anger gets shit done. So I feel like I know this tribe better from this section right up until we get to the camps and that's when things go off the rails for a moment <laughs> well i'm trying to because i wrote down 
in my notes that I'm having a hard time figuring out what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I wrote down Soul Wish, trying to figure out if it was a vision quest. I'm trying to figure out where Soul Wish, what a Soul Wish is. No, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's in this section somewhere, but I yeah. don't know. I'm, I'm, oh, no, I know what it was. It's talking about, they talk about when you're a cub, it's at the very beginning. Uh, you, you basically, it, it's under, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, uh, crying for a vision. Mm -hmm. um, that when you, when you first become a cub that you go, that you fast for eight to 10 days and you do this whole, this whole rite, but it's not your rite of passage. Mm -hmm. This is a human uh, reference to a okay. human rite, which is, I think, where it wasn't made, like connecting. Right. And, but they talk about how you get your, a vision of your purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's, it's this huge deal and all that. And then they, you know, I would think that for a guru to have Gaia give them a, a flash and a vision of what they're supposed to do with their life should get a little bit more attention than that. Yeah, I agree. What's interesting though, is I actually think the spirits that guide the people here are not the same as connected to the Garu's kind of like line of what they're supposed to be. Like, this is who you, this is what you should be doing as a person. Mm -hmm. And then your rite of passage is a reflection of what you should be doing as a Garu. And those two things might be completely different. And right. uh, like, I feel like that would be a fun place to play in a story. Like, yeah, you as a person are supposed to be doing this, but you as a Garu are supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. Right. And how you how you manage that sort of relationship. Right. I just wish they had given us more mm -hmm. to know. Yeah. You know, because cause that could go in any direction. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> One of the big problems here is that there are human cultural elements here that are just kind of thrown on the page and not explained. And if you're for this particular type of group, you need that. You need more of that for it to make sense. Yeah, they, they gave us just enough for it to be not good. Mm -hmm. They need to either not have it or have more. Yep, agreed. Which for me brings me to two things. The chief's bit and then my issues with the camps. So the chief's, I have some issues with the framing here only because it's an it's more of an Algonquin tradition than it is other native traditions in that there's uh, this idea of dual leadership, leadership for specific tasks and things like that. That's a thing that's in Werewolf already. Yeah. I don't know why we needed it reiterated here the way it was because it's tying into human traditions, again, that may deal with this tribe, may not deal with this tribe. Um, so I just kind of looked at that and went, mm, okay, like, sure. No, that's, that's fair. Mm -hmm. um, this also kind of feels though, like it almost feels like it was written for people that hadn't read Apocalypse. And I don't know why, because usually these are, you know, there's so many see Apocalypse, you know, refer, you know, reference Apocalypse here. And this almost felt like they tried to not do that. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I think you're right that this is in some ways written as if you haven't read the core book, which is a really mm -hmm. weird framing. Yeah. But it feels that way though. Yeah. That's a good point. 
let's talk about my issues with the war path as a camp. <laughs> okay. Um, I think the idea of, hey, we need to take our anger and direct it against both the worm, which they call the horned serpent, which I think is mm -hmm. fantastic, yeah. but also um, uh, colonists, colonizers and things like that. I think that's fine. Uh, I think it's frustrating to have an entire camp focused on that when it would be, I think, a thing that is true throughout the tribe that is done at specific times. Because this isn't, I don't like this phrase, but going to war or going on the war path is a problematic phrase to begin with. Yeah. And then the idea of having it be like this philosophy is just ridiculous when it's like, okay, this is an action that is done at specific times. That's fair. That's different than having it be a camp. Yeah, no, I agree. It kind of just makes them sound crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You it, know, like, like unhinged. It's too much of the angry native trope. Yes. But they don't make it any better by following up with the ghost dance, which <laughs> we, I've described my issues with that in the older brother episode. Yeah. It shouldn't be here. It's not appropriate. It no, doesn't, it they don't understand what the ghost dance was and it really just, no. I don't even know that it's that they don't understand. I think it's they don't care. Mm, maybe. They go, this, is, this is something that our readers will recognize, mm. have heard about, have read about in their history books, so we need to put it in. Maybe, and I have some issues with that if that's the framing of it too. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. I don't know yeah. that's what they were thinking, but. Yeah, it's possible. I do like the sacred hoop though, even though I have some issues with the name, I like this idea of saying, yes, we should be angry and frustrated, but we also need allies. And I think that like I was talking with James about that sometimes you recognize as a people, like we've been involved in this act of genocide, but we need allies. And these are the allies that are here and let us work with them because not working with them is way worse than working with the people that we have that will help us. Yep. Sometimes you got to take the first step for healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is one other camp on here, but before we dive into that, what are your thoughts about the camps in general or the different like groups well, here? I, I was a little confused. Like what's, what's the difference between lodges and camps? Yeah. I was hoping you'd bring that up because I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, at least in a, uh, an ice arts, like, or a younger brother point of view like lodges are a thing that exists in what uh, other tribe the silver fangs yes yeah but and for them the lodges are sort of their camps right i believe so it's been a while okay yeah. I, I believe I, yeah i believe that they actually don't have camps i think it was just lodges yeah and i feel like part of this is maybe these are pan tribal from a werewolf's perspective, but it doesn't say that. So I don't know. And are these human related because they could be as well, but again, it doesn't, it doesn't really define them. No, it why the difference. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay. I wish I had an answer. <laughs> 
You failed me. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's um, there is one more camp which I dislike because it's misusing these Manitou, these spirits' names. Um, they're wrong, and uh, I encourage people to look up stories about these particular beings before you use this these lodges. But again, they're lodges, but not camps, or they are camps. They're under the camp section, so maybe they're a camp, but I don't but know. But the lodges are like in the middle of the camp section? Yeah. It's strange. It does then talk about um, the Manitou, and I like this because it explains what these spirits are, both from a Garu perspective and from a little bit of a human culture perspective and Mm -hmm. why they're important. But it focuses just on the, well, it doesn't. It focuses a little bit on the smaller spirits and the bigger spirits. Some of them, again, from vastly different cultural like, yeah. standpoints. I, I will say, I always enjoy the tribe books when they, the, the best spirits that they bring in are the small spirits. Yeah, agreed. The little itty bitty ones that, you know, as a storyteller, I can throw in for flavor. And, but it's not like, you know, and then your tribal totem shows up and you're like, ah, you know, like, I'd much rather have salmon show up and be like, blub, blub, what's up, dudes? Then, you know, the, then have, you know, anything too big. Yeah, or otter. You know, have Kayunik show up and be really important to the story. Like, that's appropriate. Like, that from a scale standpoint, that's what I would expect to see. I would not expect to have the Ice Heart himself show up. Right, and also, otters are adorable, and you can have him, like, clicking rocks together while he's talking and that's just and your players are going to just go oh and they're going to do whatever otter otter wants because he's cute yeah i don't understand why players do that but if you throw anything cute or or quirky at them they are far more likely to do it than if you have a big powerful totem show up and do this or i'm going to beat you up you know i don't know why but they do Yep. yep you're absolutely right I think we need to roll through this a little bit quickly um, at this point so we can get into the next conversation. Okay. But is there anything, before we do that, is there anything about chapter two that you want to throw in that we haven't talked about? Um, I will just say this for the, um, for real quickly for the, the spirits that they mentioned, only some of them have gifts listed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's weird. Yeah. Like, it's just not consistent. So that's weird. There yeah. you go. That it is it. weird. And it's one of those things, it's like, if you're going to do, if you're going to add mechanics for one or two, you add them for all. all. Of them. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. I'm dealing with that right now in my Snowhaven setting book, which is wonderful. I had a lot of wonderful writers on it, but some sections... Writers were like, hey, here's stats for a thing. And then others, writers were just like, here's writing you asked for. And I'm like, dang it. Now I yeah. need to go back and add mechanics. Now I, now I need to be specific next time. <laughs> yep. Good learning experience. Sure. Um, I will say <laughs> that. Uh, I think chapter three is really useful for players. Like if there was a section of this book that I would hand out to players and say, go and read this, it would be this, even though it's 
four pages, I think five or six pages at most. That's not a lot. But, and one of the pages is just a big like picture and the other one is half a page of picture, but it's really helpful for understanding this is how you fit into the world of darkness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's awesome. Any other thoughts on chapter three? Well, I'm chap. So the um, Siberia. I want to talk about Siberia real quick. Mm, you want to talk about the Sibirak? Yeah, and this is mostly just so I can say I don't know in what game or book or um, player has told me wrong, but I can never remember if it's Little Brother and Silverfang or Little Brother and Shadow Lord, and it doesn't matter if I read it, I always think it's the other one. And, and so like, I can't ever deal with that, that little itty bitty side tribe because I don't know what it is. I don't no. even now. I wrote it down and I'm reading it. I'm going, clearly I wrote that down wrong. The funny thing for me is I think this is a great idea, but why aren't there a hundred of these? Mm -hmm. like, there are so many more places that a sub tribe like this could exist and they just don't. And I'm like, if this is a concept, if this is a thing, let's have them throughout the entire world. Right. And, and you know, but then suddenly you've got, you know, every tribe has 20 mm -hmm. and, and you know, it's, mm, yeah, I like, I actually don't think that was a good idea. Just I don't. Because, yeah. Go ahead. Just cause it's opening up going, look, here's a possibility. We've only done one. And, you know, again, there's only a little bit of them and they're, they're super special and unique. And you're like, Ugh, everything's super special and unique. Yeah. 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 That's fair. I, part of me really likes the, um, idea of the infelizos, I think they're called from wild west, like this, Oh, oh yes yes mm -hmm. i love those <laughs> same and i think the sibarak are really similar to that yeah they like, are there's there's this weird two tribal offshoot that people forget about and it's like there are so many story hooks that can be they're, happened with they're them. shadow lord too right uh so i think they're both silver fangs so the sibarak are definitely oh, silver fangs yep the sibarak are silver fang and um and ice hearts and i think the infelizos they could be shadow lords but maybe that would, that's why i always get them confused maybe that would make sense because i did a whole plot with them in the in a wild west larp i ran once mm -hmm. and maybe that's why i always go back to shadow lord because i i don't know now. yeah oh my gosh i don't know they all need to just keep it in their family man fair it's more complicated for me <laughs> fair um, I think there's some, I think what we're both saying is there's some interesting stories to be had there, but you've got to, <laughs> you've got to do it carefully. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to just skim through the appendixes, which are gifts and fetishes and things like that. But the thing that I really like in appendix one is that you have Croatan gifts specifically pulled out and listed. And again, this is a tribe that is super about tradition and super about saying, hey, we're holding on to this relationship with our middle brother. Mm -hmm. I love that they have a whole little section there where they're like, yep, 
we have these and we know who they came from and how important they are. I think yeah. that's fabulous. I'm skipping ahead so I can be where you're at. Hold All on. right. All right. Ah. What are your general thoughts about like the end of the book, both the, the mechanics section and then like the characters? Um, I mean, they're, oh, it's okay. Yeah. There yeah. was nothing, there was nothing mechanic wise that I wrote down any notes going, oh my gosh, this changes everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the characters, I mean, they're a little stereotypes, but you know, I mean, to be fair, like all the tribal books are kind of stereotypes in, you know, the, the, and the end characters are anyway, you know, like they, they all kind of have to be a little bit. Um, I'm a little confused on why all of the characters just have random feathers sticking out of their ears. Yeah. That's a problem from a, like it kind of looks like, but like half of them, it's not even like, look, I'm, this is ornamental. It looks like feathers are growing out of their ears. And I'm like, that looks painful. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, get, get that taken care of. Um, and then my other, <laughs> my favorite piece of art in this entire book is the federal marshal. Yes. <laughs> because it looks like Wolf Cop, the movie Wolf Cop, and I can't help it. <laughs> You, yes, it, it is both a great piece of art and it makes me very curious. Like, is this person in collabro form? They, I, he has to be. Has to be. But that's I a mean, very bestial glabro form. Sure. Because <laughs> it's not Krinos. <laughs> no. And for those of you that don't, aren't looking at this picture right now, he's in a full sheriff uniform with a hat on he's got a gun at his hip he's got boots on high heel <laughs> boots even like yeah. boots that you would get on a horse with if you were <laughs> inclined and so if you haven't seen um is it wolf cop is that the movie i'm thinking of? i don't know i've never heard oh of my it. oh it's it's terrible you have to watch it <gasps> it's so good it's about a, a cop who becomes a werewolf that Literally, that's it. It's, oh, it's great. It's so bad. Oh, I'll, I'll send you a out. picture of it, and you're going to be like, and it came out after this book. Oh, maybe maybe someone saw it and was like, that is a great idea for a movie. <laughs> They're like, you know what we should do this weekend? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, amazing. I'll stop talking now. <laughs> no, amazing. Um, I think... This is a good time to wrap the book up on the question for you is how many wolf cops would you give this book out of well, 10? Well, that's not fair because I'll give it 10 wolf cops because that's just what you do. Every book from now on gets wolf cops. So, no, um, I enjoyed this book, like I said, more than I did the Big Brother book. And... I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Mm -hmm. So I'd probably give it a seven. Oh, wow. Yeah, like I, I really did. Like I was able to to actually care about a tribe I've never actually cared about before. Mm -hmm. And so but, that was nice. 
then that is super good because this is a tribe that I think we do need to care about more. Mm -hmm. And so few people, I think, grok them that this Mm -hmm. book does help do that a lot. Yes. Um, I just noticed a Project Twilight reference on the um, Wolf Cop also, which I think is fantastic. It's such a good tie-in. Um, I would give this book six wolf cops out of 10. Oh, you're going to give it more after you watch that movie. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I will. (laughs) I I think this is a really good book, but I think the art does so much to detract from it in ways that like, it's not bad art, but it is taking sacred elements a lot of times and using them. And I'm just like a sensitivity person would have been Mm -hmm. able to look at this in two seconds and been like, cut that, cut that, please don't put that on anybody. Like the character on the back of the book is wearing regalia that is not appropriate to be depicted the way it's being depicted. Like just don't do that. Um, There are layers. (laughs) Yeah. Other than that, I think it's a good book. I think it's a solid book and I actually think people should read it. So maybe I'll even give it eight wolf cops out of 10 to say, go and read it. But keep in mind, like talk to someone that knows about some of the things you should and shouldn't do if you're taking these characters and putting them in your game. Yeah. And I mean, it's really easy to research some of this stuff too, if you're unsure. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So there. Cool. All right, everyone. Until we finally get an answer to the question, when will you rage? We'll see you again next time. The music provided in this episode is by Kevin McLeod at Acapotec Music. You can find his work by Googling Incompetech or Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. You can become a patron of Werewolf the Podcast via High Level Games at our Patreon at High Level Games. You can learn more about High Level Games at highlevelgames.ca or by Googling us. Thank you for listening.